0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Printed in your bulletin is also the first lesson for the day from the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament lesson. It's from chapter 58, and in the preceding chapter, 57, God has spoken to the people through the prophet Isaiah and scolded them strongly because of what they've been doing. And what they've been doing is every week they're going to God's temple and they're worshiping him. And then another day in the week they're going to the temple of Baal and they're worshiping him. They're giving sacrifices to Baal and praying to Baal, the false god, and they're giving sacrifices and praying to the one true God. God is not impressed. Right? Makes sense? Half-hearted devotion is no devotion. If you're not sure which is God, then you're, ne- you're honoring neither the false god Baal or the true god Yahweh. So we begin here in Isaiah 58 with the people saying, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God says, Behold the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is this the fast I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? You would think so. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread a sackcloth and ashes under him? Well, maybe. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? They were going through religious behaviors, thinking they'd earn favor with God. He was not impressed, especially since they did the same thing. Previously, in the last chapter to the other gods you know it's a hard road trying to earn someone's favor now you do it at work a, a supervisor or the boss trying to do what pleases them because you get paid but some supervisors or some bosses are so Demanding in ways that aren't even fair, that it's really hard to put out for them. But you do it because you've got a paycheck, maybe you have a mortgage or a car payment or you have a family and you, you have responsibilities. So, but it's a hard road trying to earn somebody's favor who's never quite satisfied. But we do it at work because we're paid to do it. Uh, Until we get so tired of it, we go find another job. But it sometimes happens in our homes. Where one spouse just never measures up to the expectations of the other spouse. And where one person is always trying to please and earn the favor of the other. That's a hard marriage. They can stay married, but it's a hard marriage. Sometimes it happens with parents and children. Some children grow up in a home with such demands that are never met that they're always trying to earn mom and dad's favor. It's a hard way to grow up. And it's damaging to the soul of a child and impact them the rest of their life. So, whether you're a worker, whether you're a child, or whether you're a spouse, trying to earn someone's favor is a hard path to travel. The people of Israel are trying to, well, trying to please everybody, different people, different ways. They're trying to, to please Baal and they're trying to please God. They're trying to do everything that, and, and they, it's, it's routine, it's habit, it's going through the motions. It's like, Growing up young, my Saturday mornings were days that we had to help do some chores at home. And my sister loved doing cleaning and vacuuming and scrubbing and dusting and la-di-da-di-da. Oh, this is so fun. I had my friends out wanting to play on Saturday morning. And so on Saturday morning, what would I want to know? What do I have to do? And how can I get it done the quickest? Mom, what's my list? You need a list if you don't really want to do something you need a list to make sure when you're done. You get to, so you get it done quickly. And, go, Mom, I'm all done with my list. One is from the heart. <laughs> One doesn't really care at all, cares more about itself and what I want to do. Well, that's the picture here in the Old Testament. They're fasting, but it's obvious by looking at them they're fasting, but when they fast, They oppress their workers. You seek your own pleasure. You fast to quarrel, to fight, to hit with the wicked fist. (laughs) God is not impressed when you go rush through your chores just to get them done and, and show no love for him. Now that's different than what I was speaking about at the beginning. The hard road where you can never please anybody. It's a different thing to say we can't please God. I I don't believe that's true, and we're going to talk about that today. But it's a wholly different thing when I'm half-hearted in my worship and love for him, where I treat him like a bother. Well, that communicates something to him that he doesn't like. It's not the routine that I'm doing that he's so concerned about. It's the heart. So he seeks a heart that is transformed, that's enlarged. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, he goes on. Uh, to let a love of God come into us, that, that this love transforms not only what I'm doing for him, but it, it changes my life and how I interact with others. So that I'm, I'm seeking not what I want, and go out and play with my friends, but I'm seeking what's good for others. The uh, the psalm today is in the same vein as last week's psalm. Remember, who can dwell on the hill of the Lord, who can live in God's presence? Remember the phrase? He who is blameless. Okay, none of us, except by the grace of God. Well, in that same vein, we have Psalm 112. Praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments, his offspring. Well, there's, there's a sense in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well that if you obey the law, you will be blessed. You stop at every red light and don't go till it's green. It will be better for you. You agree with that? Okay, right? God's law is good. Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't talk bad about people. You'll be better off if you don't do that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Honor the Lord first. Don't take his name in vain. Worship him. Love the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This, is, this is, It's better for us. So the psalmist goes on to say, if you fear the Lord and greatly delight in his commandments, there'll be a benefit. It talks about all the benefits. Your offspring will be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches are in his house. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. It goes on in the list. Life will be better if you really love the Lord you follow his commands true well in the kingdom to come true hundred percent of the time but we live in a broken world this will fully be true cause and effect when we're in heaven but in this broken world i can stop at a red light and be doing the law and some guy cannot stop and ram me in the rear end right so one of my professors at seminary used to say that this pattern of the old testament and new testament the law works about 85 percent of the time I don't, wouldn't argue about the percent. But the point is, it usually works, but sometimes you get run into by somebody who isn't obeying the law. You can be doing everything right and still get hit. Right? So it works in this broken world most of the time. But not all, it's not a guaranteed thing. But what the psalm really talks about is not... So, so we know we're supposed to do it, but then we're, if we're honest, we're more like St. Paul who in Romans 7 says, The good I want to do I do not do, and the very evil I hate is what I end up doing. That there's things I do during my week that I really wish I wasn't doing. I'm speaking in a way, and I wish I wasn't speaking with that tone of voice. I did it, I don't know, it was like last week or the week before, probably the week before with one of the confirmation students. I, 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 they, they were goofing off during a prayer time, and I, I, after prayer I said something. But I said it with a tone of voice I didn't need to use. We talked about that for a while. I had to apologize. Right? Of course, they shouldn't have been goofing off during prayer, but Pastor Bob shouldn't have used the tone of voice he used. It wasn't necessary. It was belittling. It was terrible. And you know when you're doing it, you've you got to stop. right? And it's hard to stop when you're already doing something to stop doing what you're doing. How do you? The, the psalm begins this way. It's not about obey, obedience, but about the heart. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. That it, it's not mere observance of, of religious practices, but it comes from the heart. Blessed is the person who greatly delights in the Lord. How can we do that? How can we obey the commands? How can, we, how can we do it from our heart? Well, I like the prayer, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's really God's work in our lives. That's why Paul, in the second lesson today, noted in the bulletin but not printed from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we've been in Corinthians for several weeks now and will continue to be, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We'll never be good enough. At the very end of the sermon, uh, 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 the, the gospel lesson for today, um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ain't going to happen. They, they were meticulous down to the smallest detail in keeping the law. How is How is my righteousness going to ever be better than theirs? Only if it's a gift from God, from Christ who is crucified. And when I begin to see Christ crucified, in this passage, I'd love for you to go home and read this today. Paul talks about the wisdom of God being different than the wisdom of the world. In fact, in the world's eyes, God's way is foolish, but but God wishes to work into the heart. To change us from the inside out, and when He changes us from the inside out, we're not just doing religious observances, things we ought to do, but I'm more like la di da di da di da, doing what I love to do—cleaning. Because somehow my heart has been transformed into being a person who wants to do that. That's a gift of God. God, Christ crucified, who renews us and shapes us and changes us. Yes, the law is true and it always is, but how will I do it? Because I I work hard or I get some self-discipline? No, because if I want to, if he changes my heart. Paul, at the end of the reading, talks about two types of people. We impart this, he says, the message of Christ crucified, which is the power of God and the Spirit of God and revealing and changing our hearts. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, He goes on to describe the spiritual person. He he talks about two types of people, the natural person and the spiritual person. He has other phrases, this person, the natural person, the carnal or fleshly Christian, the uh, unspiritual person. He has several words, but all of them are describing this same person. It's the person who has half a heart for God, who worships in the middle of the week for the God of whatever, And then they worship God, or at least they do the worship requirements to please the one true God. They haven't really fully committed to anything. They're just trying to earn everybody's favor. What a horrible way to be. You can get off that routine. You can come to the God who is pleased with you and who loves you who in Christ crucified saves you and gives you a righteousness beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees who changes your heart and then changes your life from the inside out. It's not about self-control or power or determination, it's about the spirit at work in our lives renewing and changing us. And so he calls us not to be the natural man. He'll go on to talk about the law in the in the gospel reading. None of the law is is taken away. It's all true. Don't kill. Love the Lord with all your heart. Nothing is taken away from the law. Not one jot, not one iota will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And if someone were to teach others, relax one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's not going to take the law away. The cross doesn't come, to do, come, come so, well, so I can do whatever I want. That's what the people in Israel are doing that Isaiah was talking about. I go live my life the way I want and I show my little observance to God on Sunday. He is not impressed. By half-hearted devotion, which is no devotion. He wants to transform our lives. To where our delight, our love is in him. So I wanted to come to the Sermon on the Mount. Which we began last week with the Beatitudes and we will now be in for a number of weeks. So we're in the passage immediately following the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. Jesus said, you are the light, excuse me, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. To whom is Jesus speaking when he says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. To whom is he speaking? Well, he's speaking to the disciples, right? End of chapter chapter 4, he calls them to follow. He goes up on a mountain, and the crowds come to him, and he calls the disciples, and he sits down, and he teaches them. Who are these disciples? Well, they're the ones who've left the nets, and the boat, and the father, and they've come to follow him. But they are also the ones who are going to argue about which one of them is the greatest, who are going to call, ask him, should we call God's th- lightning down to come down and destroy a city? They're the ones who at the very end of this gospel, Matthew 28, on the Mount of, of Ascension, as he's going to leave, and he gives them the Great Commission, they see him when they go up on the mountain, and they worship him, and they doubt. All, most translations say some doubt. In other words, some isn't in the Greek. They worship And they doubt. Like they got it halfway figured out even only then. And yet to those people, and to them now at the very beginning, when he's just beginning to mold and shape them, they are just infants in Christ. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. To whom is he speaking? Imperfect Christians. In whose lives he wishes to change and mold them from the inside out. I hear this. I think it's possible for us to hear this gospel lesson. You are the light of the world and to respond, who me? That's if we're honest, right? Uh, I mean, the Pharisees and scribes, they go, yeah, that's me. I'm I'm the light of the world. But I think if we're honest, we're far too often half-hearted, far too often natural rather than spiritual going through the obligations without really the heart, not fully following the Lord. You are the light of the world. Who, me? What does Jesus say? See, this is baptism again. I said we'd be talking about baptism because when we're baptized, what happens? What happened with Jesus? The heavens were opened. The barrier between us and God's sin, which is the barrier, it's removed. Why? Because of Christ crucified. He died. The barrier at the temple was cut in two. There's no more, the this, this sin, he doesn't see it anymore. It's forgiven. And the Spirit comes down into us in our baptism. He begins to change us, our heart, and our life from the inside out. And He calls and speaks, and He calls us His child, and He gives us a commission. It's what happened with jesus with whom i am well pleased is his mission to start the uh, to be the servant of israel the messiah and he, in our baptism the, the child is anointed with oil and hands are laid on or the adult the person baptized is, is cleansed of their sin in the washer, washing of the water with the word they are laid hands on and anointed with oil for the holy spirit to come on And then a light is taken and lit from the Paschal candle and it's brought down and and given to them if they're old enough or to one of their sponsors. And the candle, we tell them, Jesus is the light of the world. But now that he's come to live in us, what do we say? You are the light of the world. Let your light, these words, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven, that they'll see the light, all of us. You are the light of the world. You imperfect person, and he's he's believing that as he puts his light in you, that your life will be transformed. He's, He's Speaking to the disciples, these imperfect people just like me, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It makes me want to pray. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Me and my imperfections at work, at home, in confirmation class, in the world. I am the light of the world. Who me? Yes, Bob, even you. Because my light shines in you. And Jesus believes his light is going to change your life so that you aren't a person who's just half-hearted in your devotion to him. Not just focused on the natural man, doing what you want, but calling you to follow him. And then let your light shine, his light in you, shine to the world. Amen.